but today we're going to talk about the common read that we've been engaging with for the past month and a half or so now. And today we get to the third part of this process. So if you recall, if, Sheila, if you could pull up the slides, please. The first part of this movement on reparation begins with a confession time of saying that there's been something that um, has gone wrong and something off rails in the relationship. And the second part is the starting to change. And so it's more of an internal process. And today it's making amends. Um, actually, that is the wrong slide. We're not on five yet. We are on three, which is making amends. And those who are familiar with the recovery process will know that this is very similar to the fourth step, which talks about taking a moral inventory and making amends. Now, I wanna talk a little bit about this word, making it right, especially the word right, because oftentimes we hear this word used in many different contexts, in Buddhism, for example, the Noble Eightfold Path talks about the eight spokes, which includes right speech, right action, right mindfulness, so on and so forth. And even within Unitarian Universalism, we try to hone it down and summarize it by saying that if sin is a violation of relationship, then what it means to come back and to repent from sin is to come back into right relationship. And you may be asking these days, well, what is right and what is wrong? We live in a postmodern world where those lines are so blurred that we live in a society where if you just talk and um, say the lie enough times over and over again, that somehow people will then perceive that to be the truth. Um, we see this in politics all the time, and not to mention any names, but all I have to say is thank you, Long Island, and thank you, Nor'easter, for making things right recently, right? That we don't stand up to lies out there, and we don't, um, we don't think that that's necessarily subjective um, of what's right and what's wrong. And the other part I want to talk about is this whole idea um, that Daniel Ruttenberg also talks about, which is that sometimes it is, however, difficult to determine who the victim is and who the perpetrator is. And an example I want to use, and probably half of this room has gone through this process before, statistically speaking anyway, was my very own divorce situation four years ago. And I must tell you, that was one of the most difficult chapters of my life. It was so difficult, and I, I was in such a theological quandary at that time because it almost made me lose my universalist faith. And again, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands of how many of you thought the same way about your exes, but it was that moment when I questioned, does everyone really have inherent worth and dignity, right? And I, I thought to myself, well, 
How, how do I find out? How do I find out if I'm the one who's in the right or not? So let's you know, see if a mediator could help us resolve our differences and our conflict. Well, that didn't work. And so instead, we hired lawyers. And as we all know, at that point, there are no winners and losers in that situation except for the lawyers, right? Because we have a, what I come to find out, a legal system and not necessarily a justice system. Um, and so when we engage in this process, I made the mistake of watching that movie, The Marriage Story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johnson, right? I don't know how many of you have seen that movie, but it should have been called The Divorce Story because it wasn't about a marriage. It was about the dissolution, it was about the dissolution of the marriage. And I remember distinctly what the lawyer for um, uh, Scarlett Johnson, I can't remember the name of her character now, um, Laura Dern, she said, the system rewards bad behavior. And certainly when I was looking at this reparation process, because Danielle Renberg and really Maimonides talks about the harm that is done and the, and, and the reparation has to do with not just the injury, but perhaps time off from work and not to mention the financial harm. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, wow, if I can't find justice and reparation in the legal system, where can I find it? And that's when I began to do this inner work where no matter what happens, I end up being the winner. Because at the end of the day, I ended up settling and my ex did get a lot more than the 50% that the law said that, you know, any marriage dissolution would um, come, up, come to. And, and again, that caused me a lot of pain. And I, this is when I look back at this clip and thought, how do I get through this pain? And the only way through it as the fish started pointing out to Marlon and Dory, sorry to contradict you, Deb, but Marlon was actually Nemo's father, and um, uh, uh, Dory was a friend that Marlon made along the way to find Nemo because Nemo um, got taken away to Sydney, and so they were actually on their way to Sydney when they encountered this trench, and you notice what Marlon said about the trench that it smells like death and it looks like death, right? And it's so scary because it's dark and you don't know what's in that trench. And so he thought that the way to get over that was to go over the trench instead of swimming through it as the other fish have, came, have come to warn them about. And that is the more difficult path, is to swim through a difficult moment. And yet, spoiler alert for those of you who have seen the movie, what ends up happening after they swam over it? Jellyfish, that is right. So Dory got stung by the jellyfish and almost ended up dying um, were it not for Marlon actually saving her. So if only he listened to his friend um, Dory, 
they would have been safe. And if only both of them listened to the fish. And unfortunately, Dory suffers from short-term memory loss, right? And isn't that the case whenever we go through difficult moments in our lives? Don't we often find ourselves forgetting the great advice that we've heard before? And isn't it easier just to try to get over something rather quickly, rather than going through the hard work and actually sometimes even feeling the pain even more acutely? Because the advice I've been told was that hurt people hurt people, and that pain that is not transformed is transmitted on to others. And this is where I actually started having compassion for my ex. I could only imagine the amount of pain that he must have been going through and how that pain was somehow tried try to, um, try to somehow transmit that pain back on to me and perhaps me vice versa, right? So I went through the process of enlisting the help of my therapist. I had weekly therapy sessions, and I still met with my spiritual director monthly. And again, since this was the pandemic, I couldn't even go anywhere. So my 330 square feet accessory dwelling unit or tiny home became my monastic cell. So I spent a lot of time journaling and meditating and um, engaging in spiritual practices, and I even hired a breathing coach. Did you all know that such a coach even existed? And I was thinking to myself, who needs practice on breathing? And came to find out that I do, because breathing is what helped me regulate, and breathing is what helped me be in touch with myself and figure out perhaps what past trauma is bringing about this pain in my life right now. And how could I take a look at that and face it head on instead of just easily numbing myself? And it was rather hard to numb myself because I don't even drink alcohol and I have never done drugs before in my whole entire life. And no, I did not even inhale like Bill Clinton said, right? So it was the only thing I could come up with was ice cream. That's kind of my only vice is sugar, right? But I had this deal of not keeping ice cream in my freezer because I know what's going to happen to it if I keep it there. So I make it hard on myself to actually feed this habit. So I realized I can't really numb myself. And if I don't work on it now, I remember what my previous minister said when we were starting to have issues in my previous relationship. She said, Jennifer, you could either work it out with this one or you work it out with the next one. And that advice stuck with me because I knew that if I didn't work it out now, I would only carry it on to my next relationship. And it made me think about what it meant to be brave in that moment. And I thought about um, Brene Brown's um, Anatomy of Trust. She breaks it down into the, the acronym of braving. B stands for boundary, R stands for reliability, A stands for accountability, V stands for vault, I stands for integrity, N stands for non-judgment, and G stands for generosity. Now that could be another whole sermon series, but I wanted to focus on the B 
and the I part, right? So boundaries is knowing where I end and another begins. And it's also the ability to say no. And I must say that that is a lifelong practice of me having boundaries for myself and having boundaries with the people I work with and the people that I serve. And I, this is what gets me, and get this, I, integrity, stands for doing the right thing even if it's not fast, fun, or easy. This is what Brene Brown says, right? And speaking of which, I bet many of you have read the email that was sent out yesterday about my um, imminent departure. And I must say that it was not fun, fast, or easy coming to that decision. Because as I mentioned to you before, I had begun to fall in love with you. And it, I you know, don't even have anything else lined up at this point. So as a J on the Myers-Briggs, I needed all my ducks in a row before I make major decisions like that. But at the end of the day, I thought to myself, what would be doing the right thing at this point? And again, those of you who are here for my sermon about grief found out that um, I you know, wasn't necessarily looking for this job, but I used the bar analogy of two o'clock in the morning, right? When, whenever, um, you know, um, okay, so, a UU minister and a congregation walks into a bar. And neither were looking for a long-term relationship, or LTR, as they say these days, right? And eventually, they found each other, but that LTR, that non-LTR, I should say, is coming sooner than either one of us have thought. Because initially, I thought that we were going to be engaged in this process for the next two years. And so I found out, um, not I found out, but when I reread my contract, I noticed that I only signed an 11 month contract, which ends the end of July. And again, um, I needed to let you all know by the end of the month, whether I wanted to renew the contract or not. And the other thing I mentioned um, with that sermon on grief, was that you never really had an opportunity to go through a thorough search process. And that was a loss because it probably brought back, um, uh, tr or triggered, I should say, other ministers who have probably left earlier than anticipated, or perhaps left in um, circumstances where not necessarily the most positive. And so while I can't undo the past, and I, I do apologize on behalf of previous ministers, I apologize on behalf of this role of previous ministers who have not been their highest and best selves with you. What I can do at this point, in addition to that apology, is to figure out a way to do this right. And from where I sit, the way to do this right is to offer you an opportunity for self-reflection to find out who you are as a congregation, what your needs are, and to come up with a congregational record, which wasn't even done 
when I applied for this position, right? And so a congregational record, by the way, is like a profile that you would use for an app. And to go through that process more intentionally and with a little bit more time, as the song in, earlier indicated, of slow it down a little bit and have some breathing room and find out what you need and what you're looking for in your next minister, which is why I'm happy to announce that the board has decided to engage in a two-year interim search process, meaning that you all will have a chance to figure out what your interim goals are moving forward and actually go through and find others, not just that last person at two o'clock in the morning at that bar, right? And this way, you could make this process right and you would help engender trust in the process and in one another as you move forward. And I know that this information is shocking for some of you who haven't read the email perhaps. Um, and this is why we're holding a listening session after the service today. So I highly encourage you to attend that. That will be held in my office. And for now, we move forward with this anticipatory grief that I talked about before, that we move forward with holding all our feelings. And I must say, I too wanna apologize, especially to the board and the transition team, because I only made this decision firmly a week before I told them. And so personally, I was still going through my own grieving process, which inevitably included stuff like anger perhaps and, and blame. And so I wanna apologize if that came across and I wanna hold that for you all as well. So if you ever need pastoral care, please feel free to approach me. And we also have two affiliated community ministers, um, the Reverends Leonisa and Jill, who are happy to hold those grieving emotions with you. For now, I invite us to take a deep breath and release it. The other wise advice that Dory gave us is moving forward, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, and eventually we'll not only find Nemo, but we'll also find ourselves in the process. Maybe so.